How does a man searching for purpose in life find himself marrying a stranger in Vegas, running with the bulls in Spain, helping deliver a baby in Canada, and skydiving naked in France? We all have two choices in life, to walk the path of comfort or strive for the things that make us feel alive. Australian adventurer Sebastian Terry did all these things and many more. When this journey first started, it was all about Seb. And now it's um, evolved into something so much bigger. This is kind of a blessing in disguise that um, my challenge has come to me at this particular time because it's with, with the help of Seb, it means that I'm able to, to really have a, have a better outlook on my life. Welcome to SC Featured. I'm Jen Latta. Maybe at some point in your life, perhaps even now, you've searched for something that would give your life meaning. Maybe you have a list of things you want to achieve or accomplish before you die. Sebastian Terry, who grew up playing rugby in Eastern Australia, experienced a life-changing moment in 2006, losing Chris, one of his closest friends, and longtime rugby and rowing teammate in a tragic accident. Sebastian did a lot of soul-searching after Chris died, asking himself what he would like to accomplish if he knew his time would be as short as Chris's was. Sebastian shared his story with us about the list, the 100 things he so dearly wants to accomplish. Some of them are straightforward, others are not. We start by asking Seb about the impact that his friend Chris had on his life. Seb was backpacking around Canada when he got the news. I got a phone call one night from a friend of mine and he delivered the news to me that, uh, that, that Chris had, had tragically passed away overnight. So we were both 24 at the time, and uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I guess the impact of that event um, changed my life. And I wondered whether if today was my last day on Earth, would I be happy? Looking back at my life, would I be able to say that I was living a purpose-driven lifestyle? And you know, uh, I guess at that moment I realised instantly that I wasn't. It was the first time that I ever realised that uh, I wasn't actually too happy. Losing Chris changed Seb's outlook, but there were other factors that went into him wanting to reassess his life. Seb felt unfulfilled after finishing college with a degree in human movement. He also was in a business venture that didn't resonate with his values. All right, take me back to the moment, the eureka moment, if you will, when the list came into reality. Oh, this is so exciting. Yeah, I remember it really well. It was... uh... So I, I basically had no money, even though I had this business, I had no money because I was working so hard and the money was going back into the business. And a friend of mine asked me out for dinner, um, knowing that I didn't really have too much money to go out to dinner. So I said yes, purely because it was a free a free feed, um, a free dinner for me. And I went out to this really nice restaurant in Sydney and I was surrounded by all this you know, like, like decadence and it was a very lavish restaurant. Everyone was swilling red wine and eating lovely food. And, and I was sat there knowing full well that I was only there because it was free. And I thought, well, even if I had money, like, I wouldn't want to be here. This isn't really me. So I, I wanted to go home. So I excused myself from the table. There was a whole group of us. And uh, I just, you know, I wasn't talking. And I, I was sort of getting quite sad. And I, I wasn't sure why that was. And I excused myself from the table. And I, I went to get a taxi home. And I realized that I couldn't afford that. So I had to walk back into the uh, restaurant. And I asked my friend who was about to pay for my meal. I said, mate, can I please borrow some, some money to get home? And he did. And uh, I got in this taxi and we were driving home and we were, I was crossing the Sydney Harbour Bridge and I just broke down in tears. And I, I, I didn't know until that particular moment that I was so upset. I was, you know, you, we're quite resilient as people, so we put up with a lot. And suddenly I was in tears and I was looking out the window and I, I didn't know why. And I, I just, I got home and 
I realized I just wasn't being me. I wasn't very happy. And I, I got my list out. I kind of like written this list after Chris's passing. I started to write this list of things um, that I you know, wanted to do, things that I thought would make me happy. But I'd forgotten about it for a number of years because of the business. Soon after, Seb got the list back out and put it on the table. He wanted to do something with the list. He bought a huge map of the world and put it on his wall. I got 100 tags. I wrote down my list of 100 things, well, one, one item per tag, and I stuck them all over the, this map of the world. And from that moment on, I couldn't work without looking up at this map every two minutes, you know. And it just, it just it fascinated me. And I, and, I, and I just decided then and there that I, I thought, well, I'm putting all this energy into my business, um, and it, you know, it's going okay, but imagine if I put this amount of energy into my list, this, this list of things that I've always wanted to do, and it, it just at that moment made complete sense. I thought, well, I could do anything I want, and I turned happy. And it was, that was my eureka moment. I just decided to, you know, I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of, you know, as we all do. And I thought if I just relocate this from my business, but towards my, my map on the wall, my list, um, my life's going to change. And that was it. I decided then and there that as soon as I paid off the business, I would leave overseas on an unknown adventure. And here I am. Sebastian's younger sister, Pascal Terry, remembers when Seb pulled her aside at home to tell her about the list. He basically said, this is what I want to be doing with my life. You know, I don't want to be conforming to society's values. And I think it's worth, you know, living your life as if it was your last day. And uh, he wanted to pursue that. And I remember just being really excited. You know, I thought, oh, my goodness, like what an amazing adventure he's about to embark on. Rattle off some of the items that are on your list for us. Um, so, uh, I mean, you, you can't judge me at the same time as I say this, but I, I married a stranger in Las Vegas. I delivered a stranger's baby. I uh, lived on a deserted island for a week by myself. Maybe I'm getting a little bit emotional, but life can be amazingly simple sometimes. A little campfire, a sunset, a little beach. I don't need much more. I uh, walked across the country. I became a uh, Guinness World Record holder for crushing the most amount of eggs in my big toes in 30 seconds. I, I don't know, stayed silent for a week. I did stand-up comedy. I completed an Ironman triathlon. Um, I was in a boxing match. And his opponent for this evening, Sebastian the Centurion Terry. <laughs> I mean, they sort of go on. They're quite obscure. I, I bought, I bought uh, two homeless people lunch, took them out for lunch. Um, yeah, it, it goes on and on. The list runs the gamut from everyday tasks to the more outlandish, like running with the bulls and skydiving naked. A few entries in particular, though, worried his family. Pascal was quite nervous about number 82. I can definitely tell you one that really worried me. Hitchhiking across America, because I have seen so many horror movies about people getting kidnapped and killed. <laughs> and so that one worried me. Did you have any moments during this adventure where you thought, you know, this is really irresponsible? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, like I suppose there were a few moments. I remember this guy um, picked me up. I, I think I was coming through Mississippi and it was this big Mexican guy wearing a big cowboy hat. And uh, I just got in there and he was really, really funny because every time you get into a car, of course, you have to, you know, you relinquish kind of any guarantee that you're safe. And um, as soon as I uh, started talking to him, he's like, have you ever seen a gun before? And so he, he allowed me to open up this his glove box and he, there was a gun in there. And he said, you know, you, you can play with my gun if you like. Or at least that's what I thought it meant. So I, I got this gun out and I've never touched a gun before. And, and at that point, um, you know, I, I remember thinking, what on earth am I doing? But I have to be honest, I think it took me seven days to get from uh, Florida Palm Beach to San Diego. 
And every single person I got in the car with was so nice and welcoming. And in a way, it was, you know, I'd sort of just, I'd allowed myself to be taken with the winds or, you know, the particular driver on the day. And it again, kind of, you know, showed me that people were actually really good. Um, so, you know, as much as it was kind of a little risky and unknown, and I was staying in weird places at night um, and dodgy motels on the side of freeways, um, no, people were good. And I, and I got across the country and uh, I'm really thankful to each of the 13 people who picked me up. I'm lying. I made it. I've just, I've just hitchhiked from the east coast of America. Good for you. <laughs> Another one that stood out to me was number 73 getting shot in Colombia. How does that idea even enter your mind? Well, actually a really good link to the last story. I The, the guy who showed me the gun, um, it wasn't loaded. And I remember turning the gun. I just wanted to look down the barrel. So I turned the gun on myself and... I looked down the barrel and it absolutely freaked me out in, in that moment. I thought, oh my God, and I dropped the gun, I put it back in the glove box and that was it. And this this, this fear of guns was in my head and I thought, well, you know, I, how do I get around this fear? And I, I'm kind of in this, you know, this habit now of facing my fears head on. I think that's a really good thing to do. So I thought the, the best way in my logic to, to face the fear would be to get shot by a gun wearing a bulletproof vest. So that's how I identified that goal. And I know I can see you just turning your head at me right now. Um, but it was that, that's how it got on there. So I Googled bulletproof clothing factories. The first one that popped up was in Colombia. And I emailed them and I just said, uh, hey, guys, would you mind shooting me? And the owner of the company, this guy called Miguel Caballero, wrote back to me and he went, no, no worries. I'd love to shoot you. Just come down to Bogota. <laughs> so, so I ended up, I'm not even joking. So I ended up just getting my credit card out and booking a, a flight to Bogota in Colombia. And I, I got to the airport. I got picked up by two, what I like to call henchmen. And then driven for a number of hours to this just out out of the city limits kind of factory where they make the bulletproof clothing, and and that's where uh, I eventually got shot. Number seventy three gets shot while throwing a bulletproof vest. What? All right, take me inside the moments just before the trigger was pulled. What is the environment like? What are the people like? And what are you feeling? Essentially, if you can imagine a big factory and uh, let's just call them, let's just say there was a hundred tables there with sewing machines and there was all these people in there making the bulletproof clothing. They, 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 they're making, you know, suits and stuff. So there's just lots of different things being made in there. And basically this guy, Miguel, comes over. He gives me a box of, of ammunition, of bullets, and he asks me to pick, pick my bullet. He puts it into a gun. He walks me across to this white wall. He, uh, I've got my bulletproof jacket on at this point, which, of course, he made. And uh, he points the gun at my, my belly from point blank. And I'm staring at his finger on the trigger. And he says, I'm going to shoot you in three seconds. So he goes, three. And he, I see his, fin- his finger kind of like pull on the trigger. And I see his knuckles go white. And I think, oh my God, I'm about to get shot here. And at that moment, I kind of actually considered for the first time the danger of this. Because I just thought it was a, you know something to do. And then at that point, I thought, well, if this goes wrong, I could, you know, possibly get shot and worst case, possibly die. And it would be my fault, of course. But in that moment, just as he was about to shoot me, uh, my mind went like completely clear. And I just remember thinking, well, if I do die today, could I look back at my life and, and, you know, really say that I had lived a good life? And at that point, it had been 18 months since I started my journey of 100 things. And for the first time, I realized right then and there before he shot me that if I had died, I would have actually died happy knowing that I was pursuing something really healthy and happy for me um, in my list. And so uh, he pulled the, pr- the, the trigger, he shot me, I survived. And, uh, and, and that was kind of a, a very telling moment for me. When we come back, Sebastian's quest for meaning turns from me to we. Whoa. 
Welcome back to SC Featured, I'm Jen Latta. In 2010, Sebastian Terry had just crossed another item off of his 100 things to do list, getting shot. Now, some of the things on the list were not too crazy, working at an orphanage, betting $1,000 on black in a game of roulette, even speed dating. But other items were a little more outrageous, skydiving naked, even living on a desert island for a week. He says ticking item after item off the list has helped him figure out who he is. So who exactly is Sebastian Terry? Uh, I, I'm working it out still uh, to a degree because we're always changing, but I'm definitely someone who, uh, you know, who's, who's very self-aware and trying to do something positive with it. The turn from me doing all these outrageous, adventurous, adrenaline-fueled things has now turned into me, you know, wanting to help people. And of course, that's where this story goes. On your list, you wrote number 26, Help a Stranger. It feels like that was a turning point in this self-awareness, self-reflection evolution. Had you never helped someone that you didn't know before this? I can't think that I did, to be honest. I'd love to say, yes, I was always the person to help people, but you know, maybe I wasn't. Um, that was on there. The list was comprised of things that I'd never done before. Um, and you know, helping a stranger was on there. So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably say that beforehand, I, you know, I hadn't. I mean, even charity-wise, I used to get those emails from people saying, hey, I'm running a marathon, can you donate $5? And I would just press delete. So, it, you know, and I, I can't lie about that. So that's why it was on there. But it certainly, yeah, it was, it was pivotal in where my life's gone now. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it really was. I even think back on it now, and and and, you know, and I I feel like I was quite selfish up until that point. But having helped one person, I haven't stopped since. As Seb continued to check items off his list, people began to take interest in following his journey, like The Circle, a morning show in Australia. We're with 100 Things Adventurer Seb Terry. Now, Seb, what else have you got on the list that you need to tick off? There well, is let's... one thing. Number 26 is to help a stranger. Um, and I think that's a fairly easy one. So I, I guess, I don't know if there's anyone in the audience or anyone listening on TV, but I just want to help a stranger. And I get lots of emails from people after those things. And uh, I got an email from a guy called Mark who had seen my story. And basically, um, you know, Mark asked if I could help him. Sebastian is referring to Mark Rostocks. He lives in a suburb of Melbourne, Australia. In 2002, at age 23, Mark contracted Lyme disease from a tick bite while backpacking in Greece. He had his own list, and in 2011, Mark contacted Sebastian. Number one on his list, which was to shave his head, which was, you know, a very odd request. But I thought, why not? It sounds kind of fun. So I ended up in Melbourne. I'm from Sydney, so I ended up uh, in Melbourne, a different city, and uh, I, uh, I met up with Mark, and, and I shaved his head. And, and, of course, when I you know, got to meet Mark, although we both had lists and we were both, you know, very driven and passionate, Mark was very different to me um, in that he was a quadriplegic. Um, his story was, was just so sad. Having Lyme disease, Mark then very soon after lost all bodily, I, I guess, uh, function or strength, and he's a quadriplegic. He, he can't speak, he can't move, uh, he needs uh, a ventilator to sleep, he needs a 24-hour care team. It's, it's absolutely tragic. And as I was shaving his head, I, you know, I, I, I wondered whether there was anything else I could do because, you know, shaving someone's head is very easy. And I asked him, and, and he told his carer and his translator something. He sort of mumbled something, and they told me that uh, Mark had always wanted to complete a half marathon. And I looked at him in his wheelchair, and, I, and I'm, I'm quite, you know, I, I didn't know how to take it. And I, I didn't know whether it was a joke. And basically, I looked at him and said, okay, that's, that's great, very ambitious. How, how do I help you do that? And he looked at me and, and asked me to push him. And it was, you know, it was a moment which I'll never forget because I, I hate running. 
Um, I've never run that distance in my life, but instantly I, uh, I just thought, well, I just need to do this. And it just, it became the most important thing to me. So I, yeah, I looked down at Mark and I said, mate, I'll, I'll do it for you. I was uh, honored to push Mark in his wheelchair around the Melbourne half marathon. And I can stand here or sit here and tell you that uh, it was the, the greatest thing that I've ever done. And uh, I don't say that for effect because I very easily could. I, I say that because it's just the absolute truth. Helping Mark was the best thing I ever did and, and that absolutely changed uh, the direction of, of my life forever. Once we actually finished, we crossed the line and we, we congratulated each other and gave Mark a hug. Complete strangers just walked over to us, kind of sensing what had happened, and they just started giving Mark hugs too. Mark changed the direction of Seb's life. Number 26 on the list wasn't just a number to check off. Seb would continue to help strangers, including Shawnee Morgan, in February of 2017. She suffers from two benign brain tumors and reached out to Seb after seeing a post on his Instagram account. Seb then contacted Shawnee to help her cross an item off her bucket list. Skydiving. Receiving the email to begin with was was pretty unreal. I kind of had to, to speak to him over the phone just to make sure that it was actually happening. Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> nervous. Nervous? Yes. Why would you be nervous? You jumped me out of a plane. <laughs> Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Shani. Or Sebastian. Sebastian. Well, I'm, I'm stoked that you're here. Okay. Yep. Um, we're moments mm-hmm. away from strapping up, getting into uh, a skydiving suit, and you're going to introduce yourself, or I'm going to introduce you to a, to a, a diver who's yep. going to an instructor. <laughs> you really did. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. This is my pet talk as well, Okay. <laughs> any questions? No. <laughs> well, we Ready just... to jump. Ready to jump? Yeah. Uh, okay, you're the boss. After you. Oh. Okay. Great. Ready. It really hit Shawnee when boarding the plane that she was actually going to jump out of it. I'm thinking, okay, if I get on this plane, the only way off is if I jump off. And um, never really had to think about that before. It's normally board on and then board off. Um, but as I'm on the plane, I'm having these, um, I'm, I'm praying, I'm thinking, oh my goodness. What's going through your head? Why did I do this? <laughs> please, please God, if I jump, make sure my skydiving structure, you know, remembers to pull out the parachute um, and that I land safely. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? You did it! Oh. Hey, I'm so stoked you got in touch with me to do this. Like, it's just amazing. No, thank you. Such a blessing. I feel really blessed. Yeah. Thank you for doing that for me. <laughs> Never again. Never well again. Well done. <laughs> Let me help you up. Thank you. In essence, it's kind of a blessing in disguise that um, my challenge has come to me at this particular time because it's with with the help of Seb, it means that I'm able to to really have a have a better outlook on my life and make a lot of changes and um, you know, start looking up because um, I've oh, <laughs> I've already been on the down, but um, yeah, the only way is up for me. Seb has found his purpose, helping others. He estimates he's been able to help close to 100 people, and those projects have engaged thousands of complete strangers who have gone on to assist others. Seb receives emails regularly now from people saying that they've gone on to help people too. He isn't sure what the ripple effect of number 26 helping a stranger actually is, but Seb knows something good is happening. 
and his sister, Pascal Terry, does too. It's now about people helping people and Seb really, um, you know, being responsible for people fulfilling their dreams and their passions. And I mean, for me, I'm so proud of, of that journey and, and what it's become. And um, I think he's doing a fantastic job. I created my list. I was doing all these selfish, self-indulgent things, all for me and trying to figure out who I was. And now I am a lot closer to figuring that out. I can naturally help other people. So to answer the question, um, I don't think I'm going to tick anything else from my list. I've just been offered to write my second book. And I think the first line is I stopped at 72. Um, you know, I'd far more um, prefer to help somebody tick something from their list now than mine. And so, you know, although there are 28 things on my list that uh, I'm very, you know, I, I was very, very, very excited about um, years ago. Now I'm more excited by the idea that I can help, you know, other people um, achieve their goals. And so that's that's where this is going to. Sebastian Terry, creator of the 100 Things list. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Um, well, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. I, any opportunity for me to, to spread a good message, I'm, I'm very, very thankful. You can read the full list of 100 things on his website, 100things.com.au. He is currently working with a group at MIT in Boston to help connect people through an app, a database that will connect those who need help with those who can help. He hopes to turn 100 things into an open marketplace for acts of goodwill. Thank you to Sebastian Terry for sharing his story. This episode of SC Featured was produced by Christine Newby and Barry Abrams. Michael O'Connor provided field producing and reporting. And I'm your host, Jen Latta. Next week, we bring you touching tributes by athletes to their mothers. Among those you'll hear from, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Russell Wilson, Bryce Harper, and Lori Hernandez. That does it for this episode of SC Featured. Check out past episodes by subscribing to our podcast in the Listen tab of the ESPN app.